Welcome to the X Overland Podcast. At X Overland, we're committed to living a life of adventure and to sharing what we learn in the hopes of inspiring and empowering others to boldly explore the world. Join the conversation as we sit down to share stories of overland travel and vehicle-based adventure with a broad range of compelling guests from around the globe. Welcome, everybody, back to the X Overland podcast. I'm your host, Jimmy Lewis. And with me today, I have Eric London of the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management. We're really excited to have Eric here. This podcast is going to take a look at BLM lands, in, especially in relation to recreational use. So, Eric, welcome to the podcast, man. It's great to have you here at the Hangar, and thanks for joining us. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad to be here. Um, I really appreciate the opportunity. Sweet. Well, we appreciate you coming on to the podcast to share everything you have to share about the BLM, what kind of recreational opportunities are there, and you know how people can enjoy those lands, take care of those lands, et cetera. And um, just for our listeners, maybe a little bit about like what your role is specifically with BLM and what area of Montana you're living in right now and where you're coming from that way. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my role is currently what is called an outdoor recreation planner. That's a temporary position right now because, um, it's just what we call a detail. Um, but what that does is that person is, they're the ones that come up with ideas Hmm. for developing, uh, recreation sites, recreation facilities, um, recreational opportunities. Um, part of the BLM, uh, Bureau of Land Management, um, I'm the rec planner for, uh, the Dillon Field Office, which is, uh, based in Dillon. Um, my specific location is Ennis, Montana, which is a satellite office of, uh, the Dillon Field Office. Okay. So. Yeah. So recreational planning. And, and I'm thinking too, like, I know Montana well enough just to know, like, I, I want to say there's a lot of BLM land around that Dillon area. There is, there is quite a bit of BLM land around the Dillon area. Um, and it also borders, um, Montana fish, wildlife and parks lands, uh, national forest lands. Um, but it is by far, um, the largest chunk, um, around that area is BLM. And it's pretty common. Like if you have a whole lot of BLM land in the area, then there'll be a field office and someone like yourself to be keeping an eye on things there or just managing yes, and it? Yes, we do, we do have two recreation planners within the field office. And so our field okay. office is kind of split in half. Mm-hmm. So the area that I focus on is mostly the Madison River area. Mm-hmm. And then um, on the other side of the tobacco roots and the gravelly range, um, uh, our other um, recreation planner kind of manages that area, which is more close to Dillon and further west from Dillon. Okay. So is this uh, a model then that is common to BLM lands around the country? Yes. Yes. Very common um, to have uh, a recreation planner. So kind of our hierarchy is uh, each field office has got a field manager um, and then they have what is called an assistant field manager. And then below them, you have uh, the outdoor recreation planners, the park rangers, um, and a number of other positions as well. And so the rec planners, um, they're kind of, their job is to come up with the ideas, as I mentioned earlier, and they're kind of on the back end of things. So they're all doing like the administrative and the technical stuff that is involved for developing recreation, 
um, sites in an area. Hmm. Okay. This sounds like a fun job to me. I think it's awesome. Um, I think it, whoever came up with the idea was brilliant Yeah. <laughs> to create, um, you know, like we want to create a position for somebody to just come up with ideas for recreation. Yeah. That's I'm, what it sounds like to me, a rec planner. I mean, that sounds yeah. really fun. So I'm in that position for a bit longer. I've been in that position for, uh, October 23rd will be about a year. Um, but it was just a temporary one. And then I go back to my other job, which is, um, I'm the lead river ranger for the Madison river. Uh, with the BLM. Oh, wow. River Ranger. River Ranger. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. So I, I spent some time when I was younger um, guiding on the upper Madison and we still go over and fish it as just pure recreationalists, my family and I. Um, so spent a lot of time on the upper mad. Uh, we call it the upper mad, you know, compared to the lower mad. Well, you would be mad uh, not to. And that's a, yeah, <laughs> that's a local for people listening. That's kind of a local thing. Uh, but it's the Madison River, and um, man, yeah, an amazing resource. Um, and what what is your role as river ranger there? Like, what kind of things are you doing around the river? So primarily, what we do is we uh, we help people. Um, river ranger is kind of a it's a difficult term because um, I'm a park ranger first and foremost, um, with the ability to navigate class four or five whitewater because I've got the experience to do it. So that is what kind of sets me over into the river ranger. But my first and last thing that I do is visitor interaction. So um, it's my job to go up and talk to the visitors, answer questions, provide services for them, help out with emergencies, pick up trash, cut the grass, clean the restrooms, um, all of these things that go into develop uh, in maintaining developed recreation. But with the river side of it, I also get to get on the water. Nice. So we've got three main sections um, that we kind of uh, do get on the water with. So we've got the Upper Madison, uh, which um, for those of us, uh, those who are listening who are not familiar with the area, um, the Upper Madison is a section of the Madison River, which is south of Ennis, Montana. And then we've got uh, the Bear Trap Canyon unit, Elite Metcalf Wilderness, mm-hmm. uh, which is class four or five whitewater, depending on river flows. Um, and that's a nine mile section. And then we've got the Lower Madison, which is basically from uh, Warm Springs Deuce and Boat Launch down to about Black's Ford. Mm-hmm. And that's, this is all just so people know, this is getting close to the Missouri Headwaters area uh, around Three Forks, Montana, ultimately when it gets all the way down to Headwaters. Um, so kind of an area famous for Lewis and Clark history and lots of recreational use. Yeah. Tons and tons of recreational use. Um, so as the river ranger, um, I'm responsible for patrolling, uh, via raft, um, through bear trap Canyon. So that's impressive. I mean, I, I, bear trap Canyon is the real deal as far as whitewater. Oh, it is. You're just in there working that water. That's pretty dang impressive. Yeah. And so what we do when we go through there is, uh, we will, um, you know, talk to visitors, talk to outfitters that are putting on at the river there. Uh, we'll clean up trash, um, you know, navigating back and forth across the river. And he's like, Oh, look, there's a shoe over there. We're going to go pick that up. Yeah. Um, then there's, uh, certain areas where we'll get out of the boats and do, uh, campsite inventories. Um, so like, how has this area been impacted by the, uh, by people being here? You know, we might go and look at an old firing and we're like, well, this one still hasn't been used for a while. And so, you know, nature is reclaiming that area. 
And so by doing this, we fill out these forms called uh, LAC reports or lists of acceptable change. And that mm -hmm. kind of evaluates how much has changed due to impact in the area. Um, and then we take that data and um, that helps guide our future management policies. Well, this is leading us down a path that's exciting to me, like as far as like segueing here a little bit. Um, and that is, I didn't realize that you do the whitewater work that you do and that you're a river ranger as well. And a theory of mine to put out there is that as I've, I, being a, a former fly fishing outfitter and having lots of rafts and running rivers and overnighting on rivers and all that kind of stuff, a uh, little bit of whitewater, nothing quite to, to, to the degree that you do, but class three stuff. Um, and then getting involved in overlanding and really getting excited about overlanding. Uh, you see where <laughs> I'm going, where with, you're going with this. It's like, uh, yeah, overlanding, my, my, my theory, my metaphor, whatever you want to call it, is like overlanding is like rafting out of a truck. That's exactly what it is. And, um, you know, my wife and I have got our own uh, raft set up and we also are overlanders as well. Yeah. And it's amazing the parallels you can have between them. I mean, a pretty popular um, uh, piece of equipment is a stove, like yeah. a camping stove, like Partner Steel or something like that. Right. And it's a very popular with overlanders. It's also very popular with river runners. You bet. Yeah. The cook partner. Yeah. I know exactly. the one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, um, I mean, we're all looking for similar devices. I mean, overlanding, you know, if we have, uh, I'm looking at a picture of your truck down there on the wall and it's got the, uh, the waterproof boxes on top. Yeah. The alu boxes, which are like dry boxes. It's a dry box. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> totally. and so like before I got into overlanding, I was used to, um, you know, dry boxes already because I was a river runner. You bet. You bet. Yeah, river runners out there, if you're interested in overlanding, you're going to just trans transition easily and vice versa. Super easily. And so where that where this really gets useful to me, this, this connection we're trying to make and your work experience, Eric, is how um, in river running through public lands, river running has a longer history of use right now than overlanding does in the United States. And I feel like the model for leave no trace has been laid out for us in the river running community. Meaning like, you know, a place like the Grand Canyon or even, you know, the, the Madison that you range are on, there's so much use that takes place that, that the river runners have to be extremely mindful of what they're doing. And then there's a lot more regulation. So like, something like a lava box, for example, um, that as I understand it comes from that river running community so they can have campfires in a place where you can't build them anymore. So I'm just like, I'm looking for ways we can, as overlanders who are using BLM lands and, and wild camping and traveling through those lands, it being that you do both, are there things we can learn from the river running community as far as leave no trace goes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, before I even got into overlanding, um, as a guide, cause I used to be a river guide in the Southwest as well. Um, and now that I'm a river ranger, it's even more present. Um, there, you know, just as an example, a fire pit. Yeah. Um, being a guide for so long, depending on the river section that we were, that we were guiding on, we were required to have a, a fire pan. Mm -hmm. And now there are that same technology is transferring over to the overlanding community. You bet. Um, so, you know, there's all kinds of new products out there 
um, that are useful for both of them. Um, I can think of like a couple of uh, products, a uh, solo stove. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, and yeah, and that which you can get smaller ones. You don't have to get big solo stoves. They're all kinds of different sizes. Yeah. And so I remember um, an overlanding trip I did with uh, some friends a number of years ago down to um, Coyote, Coyote Buttes West, okay. which is in uh, northern Arizona, southern Utah. Um, and you're from Arizona originally, I am. correct? Yes, okay. yes. I grew up in I grew up in Arizona, born and bred. Yeah, awesome. So, like all this landscape of the West and big public lands, you've grown up with all this. You've seen it uh, evolve. You've seen challenges that it's been facing, continues to face. Uh, you have a lot of experience in it. Is what I'm thinking. Yes, I do. Um, I mean, I grew up on public lands. Um, my dad used to say that. Uh, we could go on BLMs as long as we had a fishing license. I don't know what that meant, but uh, <laughs> you know a little more about that all now, I'm sure. Yes, I do. Um, but those 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 techniques that you use for running rivers um, have been long since established, and I think part of the reason those were established is because there's such limited space along the edges of the river, and so mm -hmm. these. Uh, these campgrounds or campsites that people boat into, um, those have to stay pristine for a long time and they get such heavy impact. And so those, those principles of leave no trace, uh, tread lightly, or just regulations were put in place because those, those places were so heavily impacted um, and people kept wanting to go back. And so how that transition into overlanding and, um, you guys probably are very well aware that overlanding is becoming more and more popular. People yeah, are getting sure. out and getting, going further. And, um, there's apps and maps and navigation tools that people use. And I was like, oh, I went here this time. Let's, yeah. let's, let's tell people about it. And then a bunch of other people are going to go there. Yeah. you bet. And so how do you care for that? And so. It's, it's a difficult thing to do because um, it's such a new thing, but there is similar techniques that are already used in river running, uh, similar equipment, similar techniques. I mean, one of the great reasons to go on a river trip is you, you don't have to carry anything on your back. Yeah, totally. <laughs> That's why I mean, I can carry a full-size pillow. Yeah. And uh, have a and, little more luxury. And now I can do that in a truck. Yep. And so um, you can bring the the equipment and the tools that you need on both river running and overlanding to be able to care for the land properly, to plan ahead and prepare your adventures, to, you know, it's like if you're backpacking, you're like, well, it doesn't look like it's going to rain, so I won't bring my rain jacket. Right. But if you're overlanding or river tripping, it's like, I'm going to bring seven jackets. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think I hear what, you, what you're saying is when you're overlanding, like river running, you have a vehicle as a platform. So if you can bring along some equipment that can help you leave no trace, right? So like some fire, fire, um, campfire equipment, like a fire pan or a solo stove or something that someone might be like, well, that's extra gear and bulk. And, you know, I don't necessarily want to bring that. Uh, another one I can think of is like a portable toilet. Um, those things allow you to have a really enjoyable camp and leave no trace when you drive away. Absolutely. Uh, so, um, you just have more resources available to you. Um, you're not stuck without the tools that you need to do it properly. You bet. 
Um, but the, the great thing about leave no trace principles, tread lightly principles is they are tailored for the type of activity. I mean, I don't even know how many types of leave no trace books there are that, you know, you've got Western river corridors, you've got hunting, you've got fishing, you've got horse packing, you've got all these things. And, mm -hmm. um, if there's a type of activity, there's probably some sort of manual for it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you, you brought up tread lightly and that, that just triggered a memory for me of sitting down here with Matt Caldwell uh, a couple different times, uh, who's executive director of tread lightly and super guy. And we talked a lot about, uh, in the first podcast, we just talked about like an overview of tread lightly principles. And then in the second one, this was kind of funny. Uh, but very needed. Uh, we, we call it the poop podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked Matt to be on that as the executive director of tread lightly. And he graciously accepted and, uh, offered a lot of Intel as far as like that issue in, in, um, on, on all kinds of public lands really, and how we might address it. So to me, that's another river running area where they, they have figured out a means of handling human waste you know, we talked about campfires and, um, you know, but, but human excrement and dealing with body waste, you know, in, in a high use area, um, how is the BLM approaching that from the overlanding community and wild camping? And what are your thoughts on that? So we don't really have a set, um, before we go there, I think I would need to probably address multi-use. Right. Um, so what multi-use is, is BLM lands are managed in a multi-use fashion. So uh, we don't put precedent of any type of activity over a different type of activity for general BLM land. So um, you can go on a dirt bike, you can go on a mountain bike, you could, you could hike, you could hike, you could uh, take a horse. Um, so, but what we do do for like human waste and stuff like that is we just try to adhere to like principles of leave no trace and tread lightly. And we try to educate the public about that. Um, and so for an example, um, in areas where, um, it's more sensitive for impact, um, you know, we, we advocate for, you know, poop containers, uh, you know, like whether it's a rocket box, um, yeah, or a luggable loo or luggable loo, yeah. a royal flush. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's a whole, there's a, a whole, whole lot, lot of, of options them. though. For there people. are, there are the scat packers, my wife's favorite title. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have the, the fancy Laveo dry flush, but it has changed our world as a family. My <laughs> wife is always like, can I tell you how much I love this piece of gear? And I'm like, Come, keep telling me because it wasn't cheap, but it's yeah. worth it. Um, for, uh, you know, tying back into the, uh, the river thing, yeah. um, we, we have, uh, like, a, uh, it's like a plastic insert that goes into an ammo can. Um, which mm -hmm. works really well for rivers, but on overlanding, it's not something that maybe transitions as well because, um, you're just carrying a box full of poop stuff. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> the wag bag, but we always, uh, that's another great, great thing is the wag bag. So like when we're out in the middle of no, uh, nowhere, we do ask people to like clean up after themselves mm -hmm. and, uh, depending on the environment that those people are in those regulations may change and depending on specific field office regulations, they may have, um, more strict or more lenient regulations on how it, how it works. Um, I mean, the science behind like digging a cat hole in the desert is a little bit different than digging a cat hole in, um, a lush vegetated area. 
Yeah. Um, because of the amount of microbes in the soil and how fast it, di- uh, it breaks down. Yep. That's and what I've heard, even some of these high prairie deserts that, you know, they're, they're not like sand deserts, but they're incredibly dry environments. Like yeah. high plains deserts type of thing. So specifically what we do in, within the Dillon field office for, um, our highly, highly trafficked areas was we do have, um, restroom facilities set up. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't have rest restroom facilities set up, it is pack it in, pack it out. And that means pack it in and pack it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Do not leave it. No, we don't want the little white flowers all over the place. <laughs> um, nobody likes that and everybody knows what it is. Yes. And uh, yeah, you don't want your dog running from camp and getting into that stuff. Trust me, it's not pretty. So, you know, no, just I'm, think of who's coming behind you. No. And uh, I mean, that's the other aspect is uh, uh, dog waste. We ask, oh, you, yeah. we ask yeah. you to pack that out as well. You bet. So, and that's where like, I think we're in an interesting kind of... Um, transitional period, you might say, in the vehicle-based adventuring space, overlanding, whatever you want to call that exactly, um, in that the river runners, right, people started running some of these big western rivers and camping along the way, having a great time, but there was o- there were only a handful of people doing it at one point. As it increased in popularity, you get more and more use, um, and people are still using the same practices maybe they've grown accustomed to for years, possibly even decades, right? Yeah. But as the use increases, at some point, here comes the next river runner and they're arriving at a camp and it's either a mess or it looks good. And so there there was there had to have been a critical moment on a river like the Colorado, for example, where regulations went into place. And now we got to you know, do things in a certain way or the quality of the experience is going to go away. It's going to yeah. be deteriorated. So I think with the increasing popularity of overlanding, um, I just think of like some of the popular trails across the United States, many of which would probably go through BLM lands that are getting more and more use. These kind of wild camping spots along the way, like I think I'm hoping as overlanders, if we can learn from the river running community, as far as the things that really do damage a campsite, say, um, maybe we can police ourselves and just take care of these things ahead of time. So we don't have to regulate so heavily. That would be ideal. I mean, um, the regulations are put in place because there is an issue, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so if there's no issues, why are there, why are there what's the need for a regulation um so if there's a um restriction against human waste uh like oh yes in this particular area you have to pack out all human waste and your toilet paper um what happened in that area to put that regulation in place was it because it was too too many people in the area and it was too impacted or was there a discovery of a certain type of species of plant or animal or something like that? That's an interesting that insight. might be impacted by that waste being around. I mean, we put all kinds of really strange stuff into our bodies. Yeah. And it and then a lot of it comes out. And yeah. how detrimental is that to um the the environment, to the the local wildlife, um, to other other people using that? 
Yeah. Wow. That's a really good point. Like, um, that I think could easily be overlooked. Um, but I've, I've heard that as far as even, you know, pharmaceuticals and different things that we take, uh, medicinally, um, and that stuff's coming out into water resources or wherever, and it can cause problems. So just packing that out so you don't have any kind of environmental issue beyond a dirty campsite. Yeah, exactly. Um, there have been, um, where I used to work, um, so uh, go back a little bit. I used to work for the Park Service um, in Grand Canyon. So, like the National Park Service, the National Park okay. Service. Yeah, I used to be a uh, work at Grand Canyon, and one of the things that they had in place was they had a restriction uh, that you couldn't have dogs on the trails. Um, and a lot of people complained on that, but one of the big reasons is because of the food, the dog food, and so they the dog eat the food, they poop it out, um, and then the native animals in the area and they mm. smell that and they're going to stay away from it. So it's driving some of those native animals out of the area. Mm. Okay. These things that people wouldn't necessarily consider. Yeah. Um, so that and by no, by, by no means am I a, um, an expert on, on that type of stuff. But. Yeah. But, but you know enough to know that that like there's, there are potential issues with that. And these are some things that can crop up. Yeah. When I'm out running trails, the last thing I want or need are distractions. Onyx Off-Roads in Dash allows me to stay present when I'm making my way down a trail. Navigate hands-free with off-road maps in your vehicle's dash, travel safer, and see the trails and landscapes come to life using Onyx Off-Road with CarPlay or Android Auto. Access your saved offline maps to go farther without worrying about cell coverage. For vehicles compatible with Apple CarPlay or Android Auto, simply plug your phone into your Dash unit, select CarPlay slash AA from your menu, tap on X and go. All your waypoint and tracks automatically sync between your computer, phone, tablet, and in-Dash screen. Plan your next adventure on your computer at home and then take your maps with you on the trail with in-Dash. And so you mentioned working for the National Park Service, and it brings me back around to something I wanted to address at the beginning of the conversation, Eric. And that is, you know, for for people listening and for myself even, um, you know, there are lots of different agencies of federal land, like managing federal land or different types of federal land. And there still might be some people who are like BLM, you know, what is that exactly compared to say national forest could you just give us like a, a really like broad view of of where the blm fits among other national land agencies yeah absolutely okay. so the blm bureau of land management is a federal agency um administered under uh the department of the interior um there are other agencies that are also under department of interior you got the national park service is one um and, and then you also might have department of agriculture who administers um, U.S. Forest Service. And so basically the difference between these is the mission of these different agencies. Um, so like the BLM actually has the largest amount of land, federally managed land within the United States. But at the same time, um, there's a lot of what is the BLM? Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know about us. Um, and so... Um, what we do is the Park Service, the Forest Service, the BLM, other land management agencies all started with the, the general land office. Um, 
way back in the day. I don't remember the dates, yeah, but yeah, yeah, way back okay. in the day. Yeah. And then eventually those were broken up into these separate agencies uh, with specific missions on how they manage their land. Um, I can't say per se how these other agencies manage it because I don't work for them. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. But as far as BLM goes, uh, we were a multi-use agency, as I mentioned before. Um, the land is what we refer to as public land, which is held in, um, held in, a tr in, in trust. Held in trust. Yes, yeah. that's the word that I was looking for. Yeah, man. Um, held in English teacher, so yes. you know, <laughs> got yeah. the word. Held in trust <laughs> for the uh, the uh, the people of the United States by the federal government. Um, and so, what we do is we um, we protect, we preserve, um, we use um, the land, um, we make it accessible to all public land users. So whether that's the average person going out on the weekend and going for a hike, or if it's a rancher running his cows. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what the BLM does is um, we're, we're, we just kind of hold it and we manage it and we try to preserve it um, while still, in, still being able to have it open and usable for the public. Man, that is an enormous task, Eric. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, huge respect to you and everybody who works for the BLM and, and does that awesome work to create recreational opportunities for all of us, and not just Americans, but people traveling here as well um, on those public lands. And you mentioned like a fact I didn't realize that the BLM manages more land, has more land right under its care than any other agency. Yes. Yeah, so it's, a, it's, it's a massive amounts of land. Um, and, you know, I'm thinking about how since I started doing the podcast with X Overland, um, had the privilege of, of talking with lots of overlanders um, with years of experience traveling the world. Like they, they're full time and they're crossing borders and they're literally just, you know, traveling the world out of their vehicles. Um, and, there, there hasn't been a single one of them who hasn't said that the best place on earth for overlanding is the American West. And some of them even are, are kind of heading this direction to move to the States. Um, and I, I attribute a lot of that the reason I'm bringing that up is I'm sitting here with a guy who manages recreational opportunities on BLM lands, which if you love overlanding throughout the American West, a lot of the time you're going to find yourself on BLM lands, I'm guessing. Absolutely. Um, BLM lands has got a lot of um, opportunities for overlanding, um, both, uh, you know, like full-size vehicle, motorcycle, um, UTV, walking, mm -hmm. uh, because you don't have to be in a motorized vehicle to be overlanding. You're yeah. just going over the land. Right. Throw in your backpack, and some people do that around the world. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, and so BLM land does have immense amount of opportunities for overlanding. Mm -hmm. That's why I'd love to get into that some, since you're the recreational guy, right? Okay. Like um, there's some of the specifics of, for people, because a lot of, it is a, a pursuit that's, a, you know, an activity that's increasing in popularity. So when I'm creating these podcasts, I'm always thinking about the person who's really enthusiastic and they're, but they're new to this space and they're wondering about public lands and where do they camp and can they camp and are there trails and, you know, what, what are the opportunities available to them? So if, if you were sitting here with somebody who's new to overlanding and eager to get out onto BLM lands, 
what would you tell them as far as recreational opportunities that exist there and how to find those? So first thing I would tell them is, uh, you know, have a plan, um, you know, know where you want to go. And if you don't know where you want to go, then, um, the internet is a fantastic tool, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, the, the way the BLM works is it's split up into, uh, kind of regions and then those regions are split up into smaller regions and um and so i'm within the dillon field office and so like if you know you're going to be going to somewhere around dillon you can go to blm.gov and search you know the location that you're going to go to and it'll take mm. you to a local field office website um and it'll also on those websites it will have um recreational opportunities uh, listed on those websites. It'll have campgrounds, it'll have trails, it'll have, uh, Jeep trails. Um, um, it'll have regulations in place. Um, there's a lot of different technology out there, a lot of different apps that people can use and download that, uh, will have, uh, local restrictions in place as well as, um, where to go to find more information. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, back in the day, your go-to was just like, I'm going to go find a guidebook and a map, but you yeah. don't, you don't really have to do that anymore. I remember um, even as far, you know, back in like 90s, early 2000s, if I were heading to an area where I knew there were a lot of BLM lands, I'd get these yellow BLM maps. We still make those. Yes. Okay. Yes. <laughs> we still have those. I was wondering if they're still relevant. Uh, they are actually. Um, they are still rel relevant um, and they are updated every once in a while. Um, and we do sell those uh, at, the, at the Dillon Field office. And uh, it's, we've got specific maps for specific areas uh all throughout the dillon field office and we might even have some some maps over there that are good for outside of the dillon field office boundaries um but with the um influx or the increased technology that has happened um, a lot of these maps are being integrated into uh various types of navigation apps Something like like Onyx, or exactly. Onyx is Gaia uh, GPS or some yes. of those. So Onyx is uh, is one that a lot of people use around the area, and you can go there and like if you click on a route and it might be some funny color or something like that, but you click on it, it'll actually have season dates. Oh, for the trails, like for the trails, yeah, and like, and, yeah, exactly, and like and like levels of difficulty even too, and reviews and things like that sometimes. Absolutely. Yeah. From the BLM cool. side of things. Yeah. Mostly what we're concerned about is the opening and closure dates of those and what type of things that they're suitable to use on. Okay. So, um, as an example, um, south of us, just, uh, a little bit outside of Ennis is the Axolotl Lakes Wilderness Study Area, sometimes yeah. referred to as a WSA. Um, during the winter, that is, uh, when you have enough snowpack you are authorized to use snowmobiles cross country, not on any particular trail. You can just go cross country hmm. because the impact is so low because the snow is protecting the ground. Yeah. This sounds like Iceland and the big Arctic treks. <laughs> that, yeah. That's, that's how they roll in the winter. Yeah. And then there are also some other field offices that may have kind of a, a cross country, um, area, um, that you don't need a specific trail. Uh, sand dunes are a great example of things yeah, like these that. like special vehicle recreation management area. Am I close? Um, SRMA special yeah. recreation management area. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Yes. <laughs> I knew it was something like that, but I, I did want you to speak to those because 
is somebody who does a lot of things on forest service lands, for example, and pays attention to the maps. Um, I get to those areas and I'm always like, really? Like I can ride my dirt bike, like cross country here or across the dunes. And the answer is yes, apparently. But could you talk more about that? So special recreation management areas are a, uh, a chunk of land that is set aside for a focus on a type of recreation. So we actually have a SRMA just down here. Yeah, the St. Anthony? Uh, actually, the Madison River. Lower Madison Special Recreation Area. What? I had no idea. Yep. That's a special recreation management okay. area that focuses on river activities. Oh. And so... Um, okay. That's I think I'm the... seeing this now. This is part of the multi-use platform. Exactly. Okay. So like um, with these types of activities, uh, St. Anthony Sand Dunes is this SRMA for like OHV or uh, dirt bikes or... Mm -hmm. Uh, yep. sand rails or whatever right um and but uh within the dylan field office we've got our SR srmas are more geared towards river activities okay yeah that totally makes sense so you could have like an srma for motorsports use like we we're talking about like saint anthony yeah um and it's conceivable you may have one for horseback riding or river running or whatever the activity happens to be yes okay that's pretty cool it is yeah. it is cool um, and, uh, there's, and, and it enables us to kind of shift our focus a little bit on how we manage those areas. Um, you know, like if yeah, we have man. a, if we have an, if we have a set area that is a special recreation management area for river operations, then, um, it really enables us to kind of, um, shift our focus into developing those river those river operations. really cool to me like as a as a motorsports guy and i'm also you know like we talk river runner fly fisher i just like i like multi-use i like lots of different sports you know, absolutely right? i can never decide what i want to do today <laughs> either that's one of the challenges i mean me. i remember when i was a kid i just like my my goal in life is to open up my garage and it was like what do i want to do today right over there the anxiety of choosing what do i do um but it, as someone who enjoys motorsports for example you know rides dirt bikes and mm -hmm. uh uses four-wheel drive vehicles, et cetera, like to know now to have the overarching view of the BLM, their multi-use principle, right? Mm -hmm. And then to know when I go to somewhere like St. Anthony and I'm in the designated area of special recreation management area for motorized use on the sand dunes, it relieves a lot of anxiety, honestly, Eric, for me, because I realize like the land agency is saying, here is a special area for you to do your thing. Absolutely. So enjoy yourself. Yeah. I mean, we want people using the resource. And um, if we can set aside that area to do that, then we're achieving a lot of goals at the same time. Yes, you can do that here. Yes, you can go explore. Yes, you can learn how to dig your vehicle out of sand. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, and... So yeah, there, we want people to use those resources. So, uh, uh, kind of along those same lines, but getting, getting into some specifics for overlanders and vehicle-based adventuring, um, when you're out in big swaths of, of BLM land, like we have in certain parts of the state and certainly all throughout the West, um, are there certain guidelines in terms of trails? Like I'm thinking of like a two track that just goes off, you know, into the B some huge piece of BLM land, um, and you don't see a closed sign or, and there's nothing indicating that you can't do that. 
Are those accessible trails? Yes and no. Okay. <laughs> Let's get your opinion on that as a recreation so, guy, because I always feel like I'm kind of gray in that area. So um, that is kind of what we're talking about when we, we talk about travel management. So travel management is, um, you know, like mapping out all of our trails, our routes, um, keeping the signage up to date, inventorying those things, discussing whether or not that's an appropriate route to keep open, or maybe we should close it because it's mm -hmm. getting too much impact, or maybe there has been a newly listed endangered species that might be impacted by this, uh, this, this road going by it. Um, lots of different reasons to manage travel management. It's a mm -hmm. huge, big, big thing is travel management. Um, so you're going down a road and, um, you know you're coming up to BLM land. The best thing to do is to have accurate, up-to-date um, documentation, uh, whether that's maps, apps, or stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And that will give you the the roads that are open and the roads that are closed. You can't always rely on signs because signs fall over. Yeah, um, people take them down. People take them down. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's just they've been there for so long that there's still the post, but the sign is long since gone. <laughs> yeah. Does the... It, BLM sometimes build barriers or like natural obstacles that would maybe be a clue to you like, hey, this is some Absolutely. place we're trying to shut down. Absolutely. So we will use a variety of methods to try to exclude or include certain areas, um, uh, whether they're uh, man-made or whether they're not natural. We might use large rocks mm -hmm. um, and kind of put them in a line along the edge of a road to indicate that that road is closed. Uh, we might use a type of fencing called jack leg fencing, uh, which is kind of like uh, a bunch of uh, triangles with like slats in between them. You yeah. see them all over the West. Yeah, old school Western fencing. Yeah, so we use those a lot for exclosures and enclosures. Um, maybe there is um, some sort of uh, spring that we want to keep people out of, um, especially vehicles. We might put like fencing around that um to do that uh to keep people out of those but this also ties back into um one of the big things that we do with the blm is uh we have to do the environmental analysis of all of everything that we do so if we're going to put a fence in if we're going to keep a road open if we're going to close a road if we're going to create a trail we have to do an environmental analysis or impact study of what impact that would have on the area Mm -hmm. on the local people, the local population, everything. And, uh, and we all kind of within the field office have to look at these documents and sign off on them. We've got foresters, geologists, hydrologists, archaeologists, um, uh, fisheries, biologists, yeah. everybody, every kind of ologist <laughs> is, uh, is there. And uh, they they look at these documents. They go out and they're on the land. They're hands on. They're uh, they're walking the path. And we're like, yeah, this is a great place to do this. Or maybe this isn't so great. And maybe we need to shut this down. So when people are driving out in their overland rigs or their dirt bike, and they are coming down a road and they're not sure whether that is open or closed, mm -hmm. that's the first type of mindset that uh, that people should be in. Is it open or is it closed? Yeah. And so, um, once you have that mindset, you might have the next step already in your, in your queue to figure out how to find out whether that is open or closed. Generally, if you are on a well-maintained trail, and if you don't see obvious signs that say it's closed, it's generally open. 
that's pretty awesome. Um, and it's really giving me again, like you know, less anxiety about using lands because you know, talking to you, I'm learning the protocols for using the lands and you know what what to be looking for, what's acceptable, what's not, and and what's customary and yeah. what's not. Um, so it's very helpful in navigating my way around. Like I can. I, what I hear you saying is just what you said. Like uh, if I'm out in the hinterlands and massive swaths of BLM, like I go out in the central Montana, a bunch and bird hunt and whatnot. Um, and I see a two track and it looks like it's an established two track going through the BLM land. And there's no indication of an attempt at closure. Um, and it looks like it gets customary use that I'm probably okay to you drop down. You probably are. You are. Um, and then there's going to be always exceptions to that rule. Mm -hmm. You know, um, we were out at Revenue Flats the other weekend doing a cleanup, and I noticed that there was a two-track that was well-established and uh, had lots of traffic on it, and laying down on the ground right in the middle of it is a is a road, road close sign. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it had just fallen over. Um, yeah. And the other, the other aspect about closures is knowing what type of land you're in. So, uh, especially for vehicle motorized, uh, technology based, uh, travel, like if you're on your foot, you can pretty much go anywhere. That's good for people to know too. Yeah. Like, you know, you can go cross country on foot. It's like, like most of the time you don't have to stay on a single track trail. Yes. But, um, there are certain areas that we have at least one area within the Dillon field office. It's a bear trap Canyon unit, a Lee Metcalf wilderness. Mm -hmm. And so wilderness designation, no, no motorized, no vehicular, no technological, uh, travel at all. No, yeah. no bicycles. Oh, yeah. Okay. So, and that I was going to ask you like technological. So what would fall under that? And I'm hearing like a pedal bicycle, no pedal bicycles, no wheels. Gotcha. No wheels, no pogo sticks. Yeah, nothing Nothing that's advanced our travel by means of technology. Yeah, I mean, it, and uh, also that puts restrictions on various other types of technology as well. Like if we are doing a trail clearing operation within designated wilderness, uh, we can't use chainsaws. Mm -hmm. So it's all hand saws. Wow, yeah. Um, where uh, there might be other areas where we are fully able to use chainsaws. So like if you are traveling down an area and you're coming up to uh, maybe the border of a wilderness area, um, it may be one of those things you may have to reevaluate which route you're going to take um, to go around or through. Maybe your goal is just to go up to the border and just walk into there for a while. Mm. Great. Have fun. <laughs> yeah. Cool. And I, I think you're the right guy to ask this question. It's just the question that's popping into my mind. Okay. For the wilderness areas where there's no technological travel yeah. Authorized. Right. Um, is, is there any permitting for somebody say who's handicapped or has a disability and in, in those contexts that you know of, there are situations, um, I can't say for certain all of the ins and outs of that. Um, but there are exceptions for travel into designated wilderness, like emergency services, things mm -hmm. like that. They might be able to do that. Um, but it all depends on what the classification of the device that the, that that individual might be using. So if somebody is, uh, you know, is it a wheelchair or is it a UTV? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Is it a motorcycle or is it a um, mobility? Yeah. Device? Just a strictly something to help someone. So though, that's always a yeah. super... Uh, it's a, it's a super gray area. It's kind of a case by case basis. Yeah. It's a case saying. by case basis. Um, 
Well, thanks for answering that. Like that, that's just something that popped into my brain. I was kind of curious about. Yeah, um, we never want to discourage people from using their public lands, but um, we uh, we also want to make sure that um, that land is accessible to people with disabilities. Um, and uh, so, yeah, case yeah. by case. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So, I've, so the next thing I'm curious about, we talked about two track trails and just finding your way around and what looks closed and what looks cust- like it has customary use mm-hmm. and how to make prudent decisions based upon what you see is in terms of your travel. Um, now let's talk about you pick a two track, say you find a two track trail. It looks good. There's nothing indicating that it's closed. And just like we talked about, so you head on down and, uh, you go two, three miles and you're like, this looks like a sweet place to camp over here. Mm -hmm. What are the protocols there? Like how far off of that trail should you be going? Is it okay to wild camp in a place like that? So BLM generally is, is open for dispersed camping or wild camping. So, um, you know, just get off the roads. So you're not blocking the road basically. Yeah. That makes um, sense. Or the trail. Um, generally you want to follow leave no trace principles for that type of thing. Um, you know, like if you're setting up a camp, you want to be what, 200 feet from water, um, X number of feet from a road, X number of feet from these other types of things. But like if you're vehicle based camping and you're going down this two track and there's like a wide spot in the road, um, you're not, you're not prohibiting anybody from passing you. And it's open to dispersed camping. Yeah. Oh man, that's uh, so cool. There are going to be some areas where dispersed camping is not allowed. And so those might be within developed recreation areas. Okay. So down here on the Madison River, we've got uh, two campgrounds, developed campgrounds called uh, Red Mountain Campground and Trapper Springs Campground. Mm-hmm. And then we also have um, two roads, Bear Trap North and Bear Trap South, that have got developed campsites along the river. There's no wild camping in those areas because we provide uh, designated campsites for those areas. But wild camping also has its other drawbacks. So like there might be other restrictions that might fall into place with wild camping. So uh, fire restrictions. Mm-hmm. So like you might have a certain type of fire restriction in place um, that you can still have a fire in a developed campsite because it's got a metal firing. Mm-hmm. Bar a wild camping, you don't have a metal firing, so you may not be able to have a fire there. Yeah, yeah. So there's a up. That's an upside. It's what you're saying to yeah. to some of the camps established camping areas, and some of those are really nice. I would say. Well, thank you. Yeah, man. I we just stayed at one. I'm not going to give it away, obviously on on air, but we stayed at one uh, this past week. It was a BLM managed campground, and it was so nice. I couldn't believe it. Like um, we we wanted to not leave. And uh, to, so to your point, like, um, you know, disperse wild camping, I love to do that, but sometimes a really well-managed campground that's not too crowded. I mean, there's nothing like being able to not have to transport your poop around. Exactly. <laughs> when you have a big group too, and you see that outhouse and it's clean and nice and well-managed and you're just like, huh, there's one problem solved. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, man, that's. You know, those, those are two big questions just as far as like using BLM land and, um, how we would use it as overlanders. And a little while back, you just mentioned something that we participated in, um, X Overland did some of the guys on our team met up with you for a cleanup and revenue flats. And so I'm thinking the next thing we want to talk about is, is, is that like how, 
what what kind of cleanup activities take place that people maybe can volunteer for? Like how in managing these lands, Eric, like how, how do you keep it clean and what can users do to help? Um, that's a great, great, great topic. Um, well, I'll start from the back and go, go for what people can do to help is just clean up after themselves. That's the best thing that people can do, no matter what activity you're doing. Um, you know, multi-use, uh, uh, UTV, dirt bike, shooting sports, hunting, uh, mountain biking, bird watching. You know, if you're sitting there walking, watching a, a Clark's nutcracker with your 10 foot camera on it right. and you, you drop your, uh, your candy bar wrapper, then, you know, pick it up that type of thing. Um, so yeah, um, revenue flats cleanup was, um, in, uh, it was on national public lands day. So mm. every year we have national public lands day and this year it was September 23rd. Um, and, uh, so what we did for this event is we, uh, we registered this event on online and that kind of created a website and, um, a, it made it available for people to search for. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and that's, uh, I think it's, I don't have it written down right now, but I think it's neef.org. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so we registered for it there and that made it so people could find the public lands day event. And then we reached out to various organizations, X overland included, mm -hmm. um, to advocate for this. And, um, so when we do these types of cleanup events, it's usually for an area that the cleanup needed is above the amount that we can clean up with just the the resources we have available to us in a single day yeah and so like for this event um when we took all the trash to the to the to the dump we had uh like 43 bags full-size 55 gallon bags of trash. wow uh truck bed a stove like a, a gas truck bed was part of the trash yes oh god yeah, like a truck bed, a, a gas oh. stove, um, several pieces of just large pieces of metal. And so it sounds like, like I, I, when I look around at some of the trash piles too, I've seen on public lands, it's it's like people are using it as a dump, dumping site, literally. We have had that happen, um, and it is something that we continue to try to discourage, and we continue to try to uh, make sure that these lands stay clean for for everybody to use them. And so we, part of our daily tasks or weekly tasks that we do and the staff does um, that are out in the field is we, we go out and we patrol these areas. And if we go out and we're like, okay, so this area needs some cleanup. I'm going to spend some time cleaning up this area today and um, then I'll move on to the next area. Okay. And then like the cleanup we participated in here recently that's a case, like you were saying, which as, as a, an agent for the BLM, you you go, whoa, this is going to take a lot more manpower than me and another partner. So well, let's try to organize some volunteers on a volunteer day to come out and help us. Yes. And uh, Revenue Flats is a unique area where it is such a good definition of multi-use. So you've got UTV, you've got shooting sports, you've got camping, um, you've got climbing, uh, rock climbing. And, um, so there's so many different activities out there and it's pretty close to, um, a lot of different, you know, areas. I mean, yeah. it's Bozeman, it's a half hour drive from Bozeman, maybe. Yeah. Me. 
Yeah. Uh, oh, maybe. yeah. Yeah. Half hour or so. Yeah. And so, you know, these are places that people can go and they can use their public lands and um, it's easy to get to. Um, and so we are, we try to um, continue to keep these areas clean. And so one of the things that we have done annually is we have done an annual revenue flats cleanup because it does get such high use. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a little bit more remote than just right next to the road. And so we'll, we'll organize these events, but these, uh, national public, public land day events are not just limited to cleanups. They can be all kinds of things. Um, mm -hmm. there was another cleanup that I think I saw happening where they were doing fisheries work and so oh, volunteers sure. could come out. Habitat and, restoration. Or... Habitat restoration, invasive weeds. Um, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, and there, there's so many different things that we can do for National Public Lands Day events, and it doesn't actually have to be on National Public Lands Day. <laughs> can be, can be any time. I imagine you guys have some of these throughout the year. Uh, we do, yeah. So one of the one of the things that we do annually every year is what we call a bear trap spray day, uh -huh. um, and so that's when we get uh, volunteers, um, different agencies together, and we go down and we hike down both sides of like bear trap canyon starting from like trapper springs and warm springs area and we spray invasive weeds okay. to try to mitigate that and it's made a huge impact huh. on how much we've been able to let the native plants come back and um those those invasives are starting to not be as prevalent yeah yeah i know like invasive weeds i mean for a lot of people maybe new to the overlanding space like that's something they may not be aware of is, you know, how seeds, if you're bringing them from one place to the other, usually when a place gets more use, animals, dogs, uh, vehicles, they get mud, the mud captures um, non-native seeds, and then it, it spreads invasive weeds. So that can be a big problem the more use you have in an area. And that's something else you can do is get out there and help control that. Yeah. And you can also wash your truck. Yeah. Before you head in. <laughs> right. Yeah. Wa uh, wash your truck before you head in and wash your truck when you head out. You know, leave those, leave those plants where they belong. Yeah, that totally makes sense. And, yeah. and I, I also hear you saying, Eric, that if you want to get involved and you want to be part of the solution and just support your public lands and help out an agency like the BLM with cleanup, with uh, weed control, with whatever it is, if you get on the website and you just pay attention to what's going on, you'll find these opportunities. Absolutely. And social media is also a great resource mm -hmm. for that. Um, uh, the BLM, at least, uh, the Montana Dakotas, which is the region that we are in here has its own Facebook page. So you, uh, and, uh, coming up to the event for the revenue flats, we did have, um, a reoccurring post every once in a while, um, every few days or every three days or something like that to advocate for this event that happened. Um, so, uh, social media, um, uh, neath.org um there's all kinds of different avenues where you can um research and find out about public lands day uh, events that are going on nearby you or how you can come out and help protect your public lands because it is your public lands it is our public lands it's everybody's public lands yeah but how, so you have buy-in and own it and enjoy it yeah um so something that, that we do for our podcast is we do extensive show notes after the show. So I'll listen through the podcast and I'll create a set of show notes. So people who may not want to listen to the whole thing, but want to grab some information for, um, from the podcast can jump on our show notes on our website. 
So all the little things that we were just talking about, all the links, places, places to go, resources, mm -hmm. I can put in the show notes. Okay. So Fantastic. I would definitely like uh, check in with you with an email again after this and just have you send me any links that you want in those show notes. That's great. Uh, because I don't remember exact website addresses. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Neither will I. That's what show notes are for. Um, so, well, Eric, thank you so much uh, for your time and coming out here today on a Friday. It's a beautiful fall day. You could be out there having a it great is. time, enjoying yourself. And you came in here and spent time with us to share what people really can benefit knowing um, about the BLM. And I appreciate you doing that. Of course. No problem. Thanks for having me. Awesome, man. I hope to see you out in the field since we're in the same area and I recreate in a lot of those places. Now I'm going to be looking for you. All right. Do it. <laughs> okay. Hey, th folks, thanks for joining us again on the X Overland podcast. Uh, this was a good one. Learned a lot. And just remember for all things X Overland, go to xoverland.com. And um, there is a bevy of resources involving overlanding in the outdoors right there. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us. And if you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review. It really helps. We appreciate your support. And until next time, stay adventurous. Yeah.